Hi, everybody. Hope you are doing well. Happy to talk today about how we calculate our returns because it really is integral into the model that we recommend. And so understanding why we don't just hold on to properties forever really helps understand why we've structured things the way that we have for our properties and me, myself, for my own personal portfolio. We've got some great classes coming up. Our next one is going to be Extreme Value Plays and the Slaughter's Crazy Rehab. I'm going to talk about and show you some of the properties that we do. And for those of you not following us on Facebook, uh, you'll be shocked, but it'll be fun. We'll go through the numbers and the types of returns that we can achieve with these types of deals. I'll show you some that went really right and maybe one or two that didn't go as well. But it's it's a very different thing when you're gutting properties and when your average age is about 1930, 1920, there's lots of fun things you find. So we'll go through all of that and I'll take you a little bit uh, around the journey that we've done to build our own personal portfolio. As always, you can go to our Facebook page to see upcoming classes. And of course, you can go over to our website under media to watch the previous classes that we've done. And you can also go to Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or any of our podcast channels to catch up on previous classes we've taught. Before I get started, as always, everything that we're going to talk about today is my best guidance and recommendations based on years as a real estate investor and owner of a real estate management and investment firm. There's no crystal ball in real estate. Of course, we feel it's the safest investment avenue despite market conditions. However, there are no guarantees. We are one tool in your toolbox and we're going to help you on your journey. And of course, if there are other professionals that we feel will better benefit you or be able to handle your specific question, we we will always make that referral to someone that we trust. We are going to be going over Performa numbers today, and so this is our Performa disclosure. Just so you are aware, there are a few assumptions, and I'll kind of explain those when we go through it, but again, everything that we discuss is a best guess. There are no guarantees, no promises. All real estate is subject to risk and loss. Again, we believe it's the safest investment vehicle, but it may or may not be the best fit for you, your personal goals, and your personal situation. We always recommend you consult with those in your life who you feel can give you the best guidance in conjunction with us so that you can have the best rounded investment plan and strategy. Now, let's talk about cash on cash returns because a lot of you that have followed other people or maybe been through other education seminars or read books, they don't talk a lot about cash on cash. You're going to hear a lot about cap rates. You're going to hear a lot about, you know, things to do with equity plays versus new construction or turnkey. There's so many different models out there. But where they all go wrong, if not implemented properly, is calculating your returns with a cash on cash basis. Now, why is that? Let's talk about what cash on cash is. I'm going to teach you how to apply it, and then I'm going to show you how that looks. The thing about cash on cash is it lets you look at how much money you're actually making on the amount of cash you've put out, not just the cash flow of an asset. So when you look at the cap rate of a property, it's not taking into account the financing terms that are advantageous to you or that property. So anyone looking at a property can look at a cap rate and compare a property to a property. But as with investors like myself, we buy deals that have more advantageous financing, and there's lots of different ways that can happen, and I'll broach that in a moment. And those financing terms and the ability to leverage makes a significant difference to the return of your property. 
In addition to that, the cap rate doesn't look at whether you're financing or putting money down, whether you're doing 20% or 25%, whether rates are 4% or 7%. It's a very general statement. So if you're a cash buyer, a cap rate might be something worth looking at. However, when you are utilizing different types of financing, portfolio, LLC, Fannie Mae, all sorts of different avenues, a cap rate does not allow you to look at a deal with what's available for that deal to see what makes the most sense. And that is, to me, the biggest issue with cap rates. Now, the thing about cash on cash return is it allows you to reveal deal to deal and look at those and review them against each other, taking into consideration your specific situation not just the deal itself. You wanna buy properties based on the overall picture, not just the upfront sales price to rent ratio. Now, this is especially important in equity capture properties. There's something called loan to cost. So when you do a loan, and you've probably heard this 100 times, you can do an 80% loan to value or a 75% loan to value. People like me don't look at things from a loan to value perspective only. We also look at what's called a loan to cost perspective. And essentially what that means in a nutshell is if you buy a property that has enough equity in it, that equity can act towards your down payment. So what that means is if I buy a property that when I'm all done fixing it up, I have 30% equity in, that extra 10% equity can go towards an 80% loan to value loan and 10% is all I have to bring down because I do what's called a 90% loan to cost. So if there's enough equity at the end of the transaction, and this is of course purchase plus rehab, then I can bring as little as 10% of my cost down. Now, of course, this is for renovation properties. Sometimes it might be you're in an area or you find a slam dunk deal where you're gonna have a ton of equity. So when we look at those types of equity capture properties, cash on cash return becomes exceptionally important because if we were just looking at cap rates, we wouldn't be able to see the financial difference in the financing options available between that property and others. But regardless of the type of product you're buying, whether you are building from the ground up, whether you are renovating or whether you are buying a pre-renovated or brand new construction home, you must look at the cash on cash return. And the great thing about a cash on cash return is it's so simple to do. You're gonna take your net income, so your monthly net income, or if you look at yearly, you can skip step two. You're gonna figure out what your yearly net income is. So if you make $300 a month, your net income is $3,600 for the year. And you're gonna divide that by the amount of cash you have in the deal, or the amount of equity you have in the deal. And herein lies the purpose of this webinar today. It is so vastly important to consider equity of a property because all equity you have in that property, whether it's from your original down payment, appreciation that you've had during the duration of ownership, principal pay down you're doing on a monthly basis towards your financing, all of that is technically, quote, cash you have in that transaction. And that's money that you could have if you sold the property. So if you are constantly running your returns based on just your original down payment, you are doing yourself a disservice. And I'm gonna show you why in just a second. You must consider all equity you have in a property when running your returns to compare apples to apples against if you leveraged again into a new transaction, how that would look. Keep in mind that your return on a property generally drops every single month because of the factors above. 
If all other numbers remain the same, every month you are paying down that mortgage and you have a little more equity than you did the month before. So that means that the amount of net profit you're dividing into the total equity you have makes a lower return every single month because you have more equity in that transaction. So imagine people who hold on to a property for four years or 10 years or 20 years, what their returns would look like relative to their original acquisition. And that's on top of the fact that some of the people we see that have owned property since the 80s don't even realize they can't depreciate anymore. And that's a whole different problem. So let's take a look at a sample property. So I've assumed that you've bought a property for $160,000 at $1,350 rents. And so this is assuming you bought this property, let's say you bought it four years ago, whatever. This is what it looked like. And I've tried to keep the numbers very simple, very rounded, so that it's easy to understand. So you will see that your cash on cash return was 6.18% at purchase. And of course, including your principal pay down, it's about 12.3%. So this property goes up in value. This $160,000 home is now worth $200,000. And for those of you that bought with us years ago, this is probably two hundred dollars or $240,000 now. But again, let's keep it simple. We've gone from one sixty dollars to two hundred. dollars Doesn't matter how much time's passed. What matters is the value's gone up. So now it rents at $1,500. And we have a return that's dropped somewhere between 2 and 5%, depending on the rent rate. So I've run it here, looking at the exact same rent income, and you can see that your cash flow has now dropped to $131 per month. If you look at a rent increase, your return still has dropped below 5%. Even with your principal pay down, you are still at a return less than what your original acquisition was. Now, let's assume your expenses all remain the same because odds are if your value's gone up, your rent's gone up a little bit, but your property insurance has also gone up, your property taxes have skyrocketed, but let's say everything stays exactly the same. And the only thing that's changed is your purchase price or what's now your value. I want you to look at what your new cash on cash return is. You're sitting at 2.75%. So even if you took that rent up $150, $200, your cash flow is still below on a cash on cash return where you started. And what we've found is that generally rent rates only go up at 2.8 to 2.9% per year on average. Now, we've seen some areas have massively increased rent returns the last year or two, and that's been fantastic. But we're still seeing a disparagement where these homes that are now worth say 240,000 are renting for 1500 or 1600. There's not a huge difference in rent hikes between a $200,000 home and a $250,000 home. The higher your price point of your property gets, the lower a rate in terms of what your return is going to be is going to look like. And that is because things go up at different levels. What we find is that these cheaper entry-level properties have a quicker growth in price a quicker growth in rents up until about $250,000. And then everything really slows down. Getting 20% extra growth in a cheaper property is a whole lot easier than getting 20% extra growth in an expensive property. Now, this is an example of why we 1031. 
because what we've done here is we've sold that equity in that property. So we had a loan amount of 128,000 on the original 160,000 purchase price that left us with $72,000 in equity. So we've taken that $72,000 and now we've gone back into a purchase price of, I've just estimated 320,000. So essentially two of the original price of what we bought. And we've now been able to buy two properties our return is back up to 6.18%, but the principal pay down in the cash flow makes a huge difference because now we're cash flowing over $329 a month. We, yes, put 60 some odd thousand dollars into this property, but in reality, we didn't actually start with $60,000, did we? We actually started with $32,000. So if we look at the numbers based on the original $32,000 we have and this new assumed purchase price of 320, our actual return on the original cash we have now is in the double digits. We're now over 12%. And with principal pay down, we're now at almost 25%. If all we had ever done was looked at the original return of the original amount of money we had in the deal, we'd have been thinking that we were making 6% all this time and then 5%, and then 4%, and then 2%, and some of us would be thinking that we're not making any money. And the problem becomes, when you have so much equity in a property, it's almost like you're not taking advantage of leveraging at all, because all of your payments, all of your numbers are based on the original amount that you owed, and the original loan to value. So as the value of a property goes up, and they climb quickly in a market like this, of course, you know, there's no guarantees it could end any day, but most of us saw 20 to 30% appreciation in all of our properties last year. That's a lot of money. So by using a 1031 exchange, you can double your depreciation, you can double your cash flow, you've doubled the principal pay down that you're doing, and you've also doubled your assets on your balance sheet. Now, one of the questions I get a lot is why don't we cash out? I'm a long-term investor. You may have started with a reasonable amount of equity, but now your entire return has changed and all of that equity is cash in the deal. But you don't wanna sell, you wanna cash out. Why is that a problem? Go back to the rent increases that we talked about where even if rents go up $100, $200, your value has skyrocketed so much that if you were to cash out refinance that property, you would literally have no cash flow. Now, could you still go take that equity and go buy another home and then have one not cash flowing at all and one cash flowing? Well, yeah, you could, but it's not just about cash flow. Number one, that's not the best cash flow, but there's other expenses that change with ownership too. Before I go too much into detail on that, I want you to look at the value of what this home can do. And this is looking at a snapshot of what we saw last year, assuming 10% this year, 5% the next year, and 5% the year after. In four years, the value of this property, and this is assuming much lower appreciation than what we're seeing, what everyone's calling for and what's happening, but let's just assume it's a step down. That $160,000 home in four years is worth $232,000. That means this one property has enough equity for you to go buy three or four. That is the power of a 1031 exchange. That is the power of buying the right product and making sure that you are monitoring it and leveraging it and using it in the best way possible. So by taking one property in a 1031, you now have two properties both performing and you've also diversified your risk across more than one property. Now, there's other benefits of selling as I mentioned a moment ago. 
as we talked about, rents often increase at a slower rate than value. And many times when you first buy a property in these infill locations that we recommend, you have reduced taxes in the beginning. And that can often equal a five to 10% additional return because of the undervaluing of property taxes. The longer you own that property, the more likely it is that it's going to get up closer to what true value is in that property tax bill skyrockets. My preference is always to be in the cheapest area, the cheapest nice property possible. Again, the cheaper price points perform better. Now that doesn't mean that we wanna go buy in very high impoverished, dangerous areas, we are specifically targeting in the suburbs, along the highway expansions and the high growth areas where all of the cities are pumping in money for redevelopment. So all those targets that we talked about, and if you watched my class that I just did, we talked about all the benefits of infill property. But the most important is the older this home gets, your systems are aging, your repair cost increases. If you bought it brand new, your builder warranties are running up, your home warranties are increasing in price. All of these factors go into play when looking at this. So in closing thoughts, ultimately using the 1031 exchange in a market like this is my preference until, and this is the caveat, you reach enough passive income to sustain your acquisitions. If you don't need to sell property to have enough cash to go keep buying, if you are in a boat like what high volume investors like myself and others are, where we don't need to sell one to buy more, then you may not be at a place where you want to take advantage of 1031 exchange. You may not want to have to deal with that. Or when you own hundreds of properties, you may not be able to sustain and fulfill the need for all of that. But until you are in that place, I strongly recommend you consider using the model of 1031 exchanges because that is what propels you to the next level. In addition, I don't recommend going against that model until you have enough passive income to pay your bills at whatever your goal was. If your goal was to leave your $100,000 a year job and retire, don't stop doing this until you've surpassed the amount of income you need. Because what you don't want to do is sit in those properties and let those returns drop where you can't get to that place that you wanted to get to because you were unwilling to go into those 1031 exchanges. So use it as a tool to build your portfolio, especially if you don't have the cash to keep going. Most people don't have the money to buy 100 properties. They have to use the previous ones to buy the next. And I was in that boat at one point too. And so all of us get to where we are by utilizing the tools available to us under the law and under the tax code. And this is something that I definitely recommend that you discuss with your CPA, because at the end of the day, I would rather have two performing properties than one I cashed out that barely cash flows where one repair takes it negative and one doing well. That to me is not diversification of risk and going back into the lower price points or even a higher price point, depending on what market you're buying in. I believe that's always going to give you a better opportunity to set up with property taxes being lower, with expenses being lower, with the newer remodeled systems or new build. That to me is always going to be the best option. Now, what you want to do is use the appreciation gains while they're happening to build that portfolio and then your existing reserves and cash to acquire during downed markets. And of course, many of us buy during downed markets because prices are great. And so it all depends on what your situation is in that moment. But when you're buying in a market like this, a hot, busy market, target properties with a purpose, target in areas that still have to grow and develop to sustain against the population growth that's happening. It's one of the reasons that we often avoid the inner cities because they don't have to grow to keep up. They have development, they have stores, they have schools. And again, where are the people moving? 
We want to buy where the people are moving. It's all about diversification of risk. And the more factors that you have in your favor, the better your overall investment journey is going to be. Now, of course, as always, you can contact us with any questions. And let's see, doesn't look like we have a lot of question here. Okay, so this question, are you saying the cash on cash return in an appreciating rental property is not the same as a 1031 property? No, what I'm saying is that your cash on cash return as a property is appreciating, your return will decrease because you have more equity or more cash in that transaction as the value goes up. So when you're calculating your same rent net at let's say 300 a month into a $32,000 down payment as opposed to 40,000 with equity, that return is gonna be lower because the amount of cash that you have out that you're trying to recapture is more. And so that's why we take into consideration equity over the overall picture of running your numbers. So my challenge to all of you is this, I want you to go pick one of your properties and I want you to look at what your return was the day you bought it and estimate. You could take repair figures out. You can take all that type of stuff out. Just look at basic numbers. So that's your rent minus taxes, insurance, and mortgage. Okay. And I want you to divide that into your original down payment, whatever you brought to the table. And then I want you today to look at what your property's worth and how much you're making every month. Take your whatever you owe out of that. So what your net equity is, and I want you to divide it in there. And I want you to look at the comparison of your cash on cash returns. If you need us to tell you what your property's worth, shoot me an email, we'll take care of that for you. And I want you to see the difference, especially those of you that's owned your property more than the last 12 months. Most of us, as I mentioned, saw 20% or more in the last 12 months. So if you've truly seen that, it would stand to reason that your return's cut in half. So interesting, if you have any questions or you want me to take a look at anything for you, I'm happy to do that. But that is my homework for you guys. And then we look forward to seeing you at the next webinar in just a couple of weeks. And we've got a very busy schedule all summer. And then we're also gonna pick back up our property webinars. We have a ton of off-market property right now available. And so we'll send you out notices when we're gonna be doing those. Have a couple follow-up questions. Can you do a 1031 on a new remodel or do I need to rent it out first before I'm allowed to do a 1031? So general rules are the property has to be used as an investment for at least a year and a day. And we have a wonderful 1031 exchange uh, intermediary we could refer you to for any further questions. And of course, always check with your CPA or your accountant to do that. Uh, how do I look at previous training? You can go to our website. You can go to any of our podcast channels, or if you want to email marketing at omnikeytexas.com, you can always request a copy of a previous class as well. Uh, this webinar will be posted in probably the next 48 hours across all of that. So all of you can go pull that up. And I think that's everything. You guys know how to reach me if you have any questions. As always, we thank you for attending and being a part of the OmniKey family. And I'll leave you with one closing thought. If there was ever a market to evaluate your properties and whether it's time to sell in 1031, this is it. This is it. Of all, I've been doing this in Texas for almost 17 years. If there was ever a time to look at your returns and look at selling in 1031ing, today is the day. Today is the day. And that speaks for most markets in the US. Get back in, rates are rising, values are rising. Get back in while the getting's good. If you have any questions, you guys reach out. Otherwise, I hope everyone has a wonderful day and I'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Take care.